Hello, I'm Drew Yeager and welcome to the Club Soda podcast. Club Soda is all about helping you to drink more mindfully and live well. While there are lots of us in a Club Soda community who go alcohol-free, there are equally loads of us who moderate our drinking. In Club Soda, there's a place for everyone, whether you're cutting down, taking a break from drinking or stopping for good. There's no one way to change your drinking and we'll support you to discover what works for you. So in today's podcast, we're revisiting an important conversation we had at last summer's festival about moderation, cutting down and making change work. I'm joined in this discussion by Caitlin, Sam and Chase to talk about how you can have a good time, enjoy a drink and not cross the line. If you want a healthier relationship with alcohol or are thinking about whether moderation might work for you, give this a listen. Enjoy. Welcome. My name's Drew. I'm one of the co-founders of Club Soda. I want to um, welcome you to this. I can't believe we're almost at the end, but this is one of the final sessions of the Mindful Drinking Festival. And we are diving into the subject of moderation, cutting down, taking a break, however it is, basically resetting a relationship with alcohol so that it's healthy and adds value to your life. Um, we're going to be live for the next 45 minutes. We would really value your comments, your feedback, um, whether you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook, feel free to share your thoughts. Um, we have an expert panel um, uh, to talk you through. So I'm really hoping that we can really dive into the detail of moderation, how it works in practice, um, and really kind, of, uh, really kind of set you up to change your drinking in a way that works for you. Um, so that's enough by way of introduction. I want to hand over to our guests um, to hear a little bit about you, what brings you here, tell us about you and your drinking. And I wonder, could we start with you, Chase? Well, first of all, hey, everyone. Um, thank you so much for having me today. Um, yeah, so my name is Chase. I'm from San Francisco, California. Um, I would kind of characterize myself as kind of a typical, typical drinker um, from high school up through college. Um, was pretty pretty calm in high school and then things obviously escalated in university became a pretty um pretty i don't know experienced binge drinker at that point and at some point during my the last couple of years in my mid-20s i have found that it's become completely unsustainable so as i kind of transitioned into the professional world um finding that it was really kind of ruining my life um, even just drinking on the weekends, I wouldn't get back my energy and kind of my, my good mood until late into the next week. And I found that I was spending all of my time hungover or nursing a hangover. Um, it was affecting my life professionally. It was, um, it was impacting my relationships and it was generally just making me kind of miserable. So I realized at some point, well, I mean, throughout the process in my entire drinking history, I knew that I needed to make a change. But nine months ago, I decided to make some actual changes and for the last nine months have made a lot of growth and I'm very grateful for all of these experiences now. Mm -hmm. So what does so what does, uh, what does your drinking look like now, Chase? How would you describe it? So now um, I drink very infrequently. I drink, I don't, I only drink in like social occasions. Mm -hmm. um, I would say if to quantify it, maybe maybe two or three times a month. Um, but I'm finding that my drinking is steadily trending down situations where, you know, even four or five months ago, I would probably have a drink or two. Now I'm just not, I'm not having the urges. I'm not having the, you know, the necessity to do that. So I'm consistently trending down. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Okay, cool. 
Um, and Caitlin, how about you? Tell us about you and what brings you here and you and your drinking. <laughs> Such a fun question. Yeah, sure. It's really good fun. <laughs> it's like for me, it's Sunday morning too. So I'm like, <laughs> so I'm Canadian. Um, my name is Caitlin, and um, I'm on the bottom of the screen. I'm redefining sobriety. I didn't put it in the next to my name, but um, so I am a Canadian. I live in Mexico. I've been living here for eight years. And, um, I started drinking quite young in my teens. And I would say right from the beginning, it was pretty problematic. Definitely, um, binge drinking a lot. And then it turned into also drinking and using a lot of drugs, which carried through most of my twenties. But it's interesting because even though there was brief times where I tried periods of sobriety, I still think I focus more on the harms that I thought were associated with the drugs and not so much with the alcohol. And then <clears throat> I was living in Cambodia at the end of my 20s. And that's where I'd say I kind of came the closest to what I would call a, a bottom, although I didn't really see it that way at the time. But I was in a really stressful job situation. I was also part of the expat community, which was very much a drink hard, play hard. Everything was available there, um, you know, and using a lot of different drugs, including illicit and also pharmaceutical. And I was really unhappy and really unhealthy. And I was also drinking every day at the time. Like that was when I was drinking the most. So drinking every day, kind of to unwind and go to sleep, partying a lot on the weekends. And actually that's when I moved to Mexico and I knew a lot of things had to change and I stopped a lot of the drugs on my way here and threw stuff in the toilet and, um, and got here, but the alcohol piece was a lot harder for me in a way, you know? Um, and it, it hung on for a while and I wasn't daily drinking anymore, but I was still, I would go out and just have these nights. So it would just get away from me. And, and it was really frustrating. It actually got really hard for me for a while because I was like, I can't, I'm so accomplished in other ways in my life I can figure other things out but why is this so hard you know like mm -hmm. why is it so difficult to heal this part of me and I and I didn't feel like I was somebody who needed to be abstinent forever um but I started questioning that and you know just like I didn't think I didn't feel like I had a dependency on alcohol but yet there was this sort of piece that just was really difficult for me and eventually I just got to a point where I woke up one morning and it was again, one of those nights where I started innocently enough. I had gone out for dinner with some friends, thought it was just going to be this casual night, ended up in a stairwell doing Coke, like not, not the night that I had wanted and woke up just feeling like it wasn't the worst night, but I was just like, felt like shit. And, mm -hmm. and I was really disappointed with myself. And I was, that I think was the biggest piece for me was I was just like, I felt like I was constantly letting myself down. And so in that moment, then um, I decided, like, I think something finally clicked. And I was actually studying to be a health coach at the time, which also led to this sort of like disconnect, like dissonance in my life, you know. I know what that's like. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I really started applying a lot of what I was learning and you know, that was the beginning of my, my journey really about six years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, since then, I wrote a book called Drink Less, Be More, How to Have a Great Night and Life Without Getting Wasted. Mm -hmm. I coach um, people online and I also host retreats now. And my program has kind of evolved to be called Redefining Sobriety because I actually worked in harm reduction for a lot of years. And I really do believe that for the most part, we can define our own relationship to 
a lot of different substances and including alcohol. Mm -hmm. And at the time, six years ago, there still wasn't a lot of that. Now there's like, it's amazing. There's so many options for people. And I, I, I love that there's pretty much different flavors for every person. But at the time when I was seeking support, there really wasn't, it was a very abstinence only focus. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really feel like I fit into that at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, brilliant. Thank you, Caitlin. Um, and Sam, finally, tell us about you, what brings you here and about you and alcohol. Yeah. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, and uh, yeah, so I would say that, you know, maybe a, a, a little different from Chase and Caitlin, uh, you know, moderation is not necessarily something that like I've really thought about a lot for myself. I've always been a light drinker. I've never, you know, in college there were times where I would drink too much, but it was never a huge part of my life. But I opened uh, an alcohol-free bar getaway uh, last year. And so I've just... Um, well, first of all, I've had a lot of interactions with people who are moderating or trying to moderate or interested in moderation or struggling with moderation. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I also, I think through my interactions with these people and with starting the bar and with um, you know family member who uh, is sober... Um, I've reconsidered a lot of my own drinking habits, even though I was never a heavy drinker. Um, it's definitely caused me to be much more focused on my habits and what am I doing because it's a habit? What am I doing because, um, you know, because I'm bored rather than, you know, do I really want to have a drink or am I having a drink because it's just part of the routine? Um, so, you know, I think I have like a, I'm kind of on a different side of this, but, uh, but definitely something I've thought a lot about. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, isn't that interesting that um, so we, we are following a session with Annie Grace, which is going to speak really strongly to people who decide that going alcohol free is going to be the best way forward for them, you know, and that we have this very strong story in our society, don't we, about um, alcohol consumption that gets completely out of hand, people hitting rock bottom, and then deciding that being alcohol-free or sober forever is the only way forward. Um, but it was really interesting. We, we all seem to be coming at this story from a slightly different angle, which is about the role that alcohol plays in your life and the extent to which it makes you happy um, in different kinds of ways. Um, and I wonder, do you have any, for people who are watching this, who are maybe right at the beginning of thinking about their relationship with alcohol, do you have any kind of thoughts on the kind of people for whom moderation is maybe going to work as a strategy and people who should definitely just kind of not even try and just go sober? Do you, do you, do you get what I mean? Do you have any thoughts on, on that for people who are right at the beginning of thinking about this? Is that question for me or are you opening it up? Uh, I, I was throwing it out to anyone. But okay. Sam, you're speaking, so go ahead. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, I guess I walked into that. Um, <laughs> well, no, I, I was going to say uh, that, you know, I think, especially in the role that I have of, of serving customers, serving guests who are coming in to get away, um, you know, we try very hard not to kind of interrogate people on their drinking habits. Um, and or, or even make them feel like they have to talk about it if they don't want to. That said, a lot of people do come in and and share their stories with us. Um, and a lot, I would say a, a large portion of our audience, you know, of our, of our guests are already non-drinkers, um, either in AA or other programs, um, you know, but, but consciously, seriously, you know, not drinking. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then, and then we have a lot of people who are, who are more casually, you know, sober curious, as they say. Um, and, you know, but anyway, the, what's been really interesting to me is the people who come in because they're locals and they just saw our spot or they saw it on Yelp or something. And they said, Hey, I want to check that out. They drink, they come in, 
they find that they can actually have fun without alcohol. And then they later tell us that it was actually a big part of them cutting back on their alcohol or, or mm-hmm. realizing they had a problem. And it doesn't happen a ton, but it, it, there's been a couple of cases where that's mm-hmm. happened. And it's been really uh, exciting to know that by giving them the option, and I think that's, I think that's a big part of it, is sometimes people think the only option is to drink. It's such a part of the culture. Um, mm-hmm. By realizing that actually there are options, there are ways to have fun, ways to socialize that don't involve drinking. Um, you know, I think that kind of opens up some doors in a lot of people's minds to saying, mm-hmm. oh, I could, I could do this. I can try this. Yeah. And so, Caitlin, you, you do a lot of work with individuals who are thinking yeah. about changing drinking. Do you have any kind of, do you have any kind of guidelines in your own head about the kind of styles of change that were going to work for certain types of people? What, what, what do you say to that? People who for are right. Sure. And it's actually really important to me because when I, there are certain people that I can't support with my approach. And, um, it's very important for me that we're a good fit for working together. And so there are a percentage of the population who are people for whom moderation isn't recommended and would always be a struggle, you know, like maybe, and so some of those people are my, you know, in my family. So I also am very close to that. Like I know the difference between, um, you know, how our brain functioning works and that it's, you know, you might try to moderate, but it's every sip of that alcohol, you know, the sip of alcohol is, and that's where the AA saying, you know, one might as well be a hundred or a thousand or whatever it is, because it triggers that response in your brain. And, and it's something more powerful than your willpower, your, you know, whatever your training is. But that's actually a very small percentage of the population. Mm -hmm. So one of the questions I always ask people when they come to me first is, well, have you tried taking a break? And and I also want to say that I think that people seek out an an approach that allows for moderation because intuitively they know that it could work for them. And I think Mm -hmm. people who it's it's very rare in the six years now or like five and a half that I've been really focusing on this online, it's very, 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 very rare that I speak to someone who actually isn't a good fit because I think our intuition is actually really on point a lot of the time in terms of what kind of treatment we need and whether or not an approach like this is actually going to work. But one of the first questions I ask people is, you know, have you tried taking a break from alcohol before? How did that go for you? What did you try differently? And a lot of times I think what happens and why people get defeated is because they just try cutting out on alcohol, but they don't try anything else. And I know Mm -hmm. Chase can probably speak to this as well, that like moderation isn't easy and it's not a cop out, you know, Mm -hmm. that there's still a lot of, of, of retraining uh, that needs to happen. And it's a big commitment. And I think sometimes people miss that piece, you know, and think, oh, I'll just take cut alcohol out of the picture. I'm going to do a 30 day challenge or I'm going to do whatever. Mm-hmm. But if nothing changes, nothing changes. And all you're doing is taking alcohol out and you haven't actually done the behavioral change work, the yep. healing from the inside out, actually changing your brain. And so if people have tried taking a break and they were able to, but they find at some point, not that they go back to drinking every day, but they go back to, again, that cycle of kind of self-disappointment of letting themselves down of not showing up as their best self. They find that certain social situations are more challenging than others. It gets usually really more nuanced. And that's Mm -hmm. when I'm like, great, we can work together because it's probably that you just haven't had the right kind of support and you haven't done the inner work within a safe container to actually change some of these deeply ingrained patterns and habits um, and like neural responses. But mm-hmm. I know that if you've, if you've been able to moderate in certain circumstances, you actually can moderate in any, it's not like, yeah. it's not like you're, you know, I can moderate over here, but not over here. You mm-hmm. just haven't learned how to do it in that other 
situation yet. Yeah. So that's kind of the, that's, a, you know, it's a more detailed and obviously a longer conversation than that, but that's generally how my first interactions with people go when we're deciding if we're a good fit for each yeah. other and also for moderation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Chase, and you, so you run a podcast, Stone Cold Moderation, and you've been out speaking to all sorts of experts about how to change your drinking in different ways. What have you gathered from that? Are, are there any kind of any kind of pearls of wisdom or your own kind of experience about whether moderation might work for somebody or not? Yeah, and I, I just wanted to piggyback on what Caitlin is talking about. I really like that idea of um, kind of trusting your intuition. Um, that's a really eloquent way of putting it. I mean, just first, my own experience, like I was somebody who um, was only drinking on the weekends, um, was not drinking like at night. I was not somebody who liked to drink by myself. Um, so just kind of, yeah, just kind of auditing myself and my kind of emotional makeup. I was like, yeah, I think I could cut down drastically, but not have the need to um, abstain for my entire life. Right. So if, you know, in the future, I'm at a nice restaurant, I want to have a glass of wine or I'm on the beach, I want to have a beer. I can, I can treat myself to that. Um, so I really like that idea of you know, trusting, trusting intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I have been lucky enough to have some really good experts on my show, including Laura Willoughby of, of club soda. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, th- yeah, I, I really, I really like the, the idea of kind of in, in a nutshell, I think all of them have kind of touched around that, like trusting your intuition. If you're somebody who thinks that, you can get it done and you want to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. It's definitely worth going for. Um, yeah. I'm somebody in my own life. I think I can. So I'm, I'm kind of on that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Hopefully I can. Yeah. I mean, I mean for myself, so I didn't talk about myself and my own drinking at all at the beginning. So apologies for that, for exposing you and them, not myself. So for, so for myself, I've got to, I've got to moderation with a really, really slow process, which actually has been caught up a lot with how I've changed as a person generally and the kinds of ways that I would have previously kind of pretty unthinkingly included alcohol in my life and then finding different strategies and changing over time. And, um, I was talking to somebody earlier, you know, it's like that my change is like a slow moving Wes Anderson film compared to, you know, the, <laughs> the, kind of the jump cut of a Quentin Tarantino kind of movie, you know. So it has been like gradual over time. Um, and it has been a lot about learning what works for me and what doesn't work for me. Um, and I think that's a really important thing. One of the challenges that I think that many people burden themselves with unnecessarily when it comes to moderation is the idea that you have to get it right from day one. Um, you know, that if you, if you are trying moderation and then you do go off the rails, you end up with a stinking hangover that somehow moderation as a strategy has failed and that therefore you need to be alcohol free. And I wondered like for, for those kind of practical kind of tactics, I wondered whether you had um, any kind of practical advice about strategies that people can use to get going. If they're thinking about moderation, ways in which to actually make it work in practice. Um, Caitlin, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, so what I often talk about with my clients is that we have to approach this with essentially what you're saying with um, curious compassion, you know, and really it's, it's, um, it's doing research because I can't tell you exactly what's going to work for you. And even, you know, look at this call, this, you know, the four of us on this panel, we all have really different experiences. And so 
it is um, it is a process of of investigation and self inquiry, and you have to kind of be in for it, you know, and and mm-hmm. and and want to do that. And one of the, but also, I think that it does just because you're not choosing abstinence, which kind of gives you this really um, clearly defined container to be in, right? It's like, especially even if it's just a 30 day challenge, like no alcohol, 30 days, those are the rules. I want to follow them. It's like a box that you put yourself into and you, you have to figure out how to make it work if you're going to follow through. I think sometimes also we, it, with moderation, it's like, well, what are the rules, you know, and how do I make decisions for myself when I'm trying this out? And I actually do feel like that container is really important. It just might look a bit, little bit different. So what I do, for example, is I support my clients in the beginning. It becomes less necessary as we move along, but in the beginning to come up with their own alcohol agreement with themselves. And it starts usually, I recommend minimum 30 days, but two months is preferable because especially because I work with a lot of people who aren't drinking on a daily basis. So you want to kind of have the time to have the different kinds of social situations or the life stressors or triggers or whatever comes up, but it actually really creates that container of, okay, so, you know, what is my weekday going to look like? What is my weekend going to look like? How many drinks max? What is my sort of point of no return? How do I want, if I know that I don't want to get drunk or I know that, I don't want to let myself down by not following through on my intentions. Well, then how do I stay on the sober side of that point of no return? And so it actually is quite detailed and it's an agreement that they come up with with themselves and sign it with themselves. And it's basically, I'm a witness and a a guide and a support around then Mm -hmm. the strategies to follow through, but it, it does give a structure because sometimes we really need that structure and we need to know that, oh, I made this commitment to myself to only drink one weekday a week and one day on the weekend. Okay, so now what do I need to do? What's the inner work? What are my strategies? What alternatives do I need to have in my fridge? You know, what are all the things I need to have in place in order to be able to follow through on that agreement that I have with myself? And I think that's sometimes where the, the complete break, you know, helps put us, we need to follow through in certain circumstances. Whereas Mm -hmm. if we don't have that structure or those guidelines in the beginning, when we're practicing moderation, sometimes it's really easy just to slide back into, into autopilot or what's habitual. So that's something that I find is really, really helpful in the beginning. Again, over time, it doesn't become as necessary. And it's also a living document. You know, I always say, I'm like, you are the one who gets to decide and we meet every two weeks. So we might sign this agreement for two months, but if you see after two weeks that it's really not working for you, or there's some really sticky points or or areas that are really, you're facing a lot of resistance. Great. Good information. Let's not be judgmental about to our, towards ourselves about it. Let's just, you know, adjust course maybe, or Mm -hmm. see what other kinds of support you need. Uh, what other alternatives and on all of that, you know, so, and then we can keep reassessing as we go along. And then eventually Mm -hmm. it doesn't become as necessary anymore because you've Um, changed. (laughs) Yeah. I'm talking of structure chase. I know that you've, you've spoken in the past about um, drinking commandments. I think you call them. Um, And I I wondered what your, what your approach is now, whether that's evolved for you or or whether you have, whether you have rules or strike. I I quite like Caitlin's kind of description of structure rather than rules, you know, Mm -hmm. but, how does what how does that work for you practically yeah so i'm I'm a teacher so i do i do like rules and i do like very like (laughs) like clear and kind of strict um guidelines for for myself and and for others um so for me i i kind of experimented with that a bit and what i have now is i basically call the rule of three and if i choose to drink in a certain occasion i'm not going to have more than three drinks in that 
in that occasion, in that day, in that 24 hour period. So this is, this has worked well for me because again, I'm not somebody who has ever had problems with like drinking every day. Um, you know, drinking by myself when I go home, that's not something I ever really did. So that this has worked for me. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I really like that structure. I would recommend for people who are like interested in kind of experimenting with the same thing to not have, maybe just have like one or two rules. You can call them, or you can call them guidelines, whatever, whatever you like. Um, not having more than three, because I have kind of come across people who are trying moderation and they have like a list of like 10 rules. Like, and it's, it's crazy. It just leaves yeah. way too much room for, you know, interpretation, way too much gray area. They get confused and it can be kind of lead them down a path mm-hmm. where they end up, you know, getting drunk. Um, so for me, the simplicity of just having like one, one rule that I, that I, I put in place has mm-hmm. been really helpful for me just in my, in my own, in my own mind, how, how I function. Um, and I think the important thing is that it hasn't been a lot of work. It's been really easy for me to, um, do that, just follow my rule. And if I do kind of end up, I don't know, kind of breaking it, maybe going a little bit over having maybe one too many or having like a drink that was a little too big. Um, it's important for me to not punish myself for that, to not give myself a consequence before I, I was, I was like, okay, if I break my rule, I got to go home immediately and I got to go to bed because you're, 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 you're in timeout, you're in punishment, you're done. Um, and I found that that was not very productive because that's kind of, you know, putting unnecessary shame into the, into the experience. Right. And that's kind of Mm -hmm. what we want to avoid. Um, that's worked for me. It's very clear. Um, Hello again, it's me, Drew. Just wanted to remind you about Club Soda's monthly alcohol-free drink selections, our Discovery Box and our Wine Club Box. If you're changing your drinking, alcohol-free drinks are a great choice. And many people find that they can really help when you're cutting down, taking a break from drinking or quitting drinking for good. With our Discovery Box, you can try a selection of seasonal specials, new releases and old favourites for just $24.99. This curated box will be chosen by Club Soda co-founder Laura and our drinks writer and industry expert Anya. In addition to this, we're hosting a live tasting event every second Monday of the month so you can share your experiences and get our recommendations for the drinks you'll love. And then there's our Wine Club Box. Choosing alcohol-free wine is tricky, but our curated box makes it easy. For just $29.99 a month, you'll get our choice of the best alcohol-free wines and wine alternatives. The box is built by Laura in collaboration with Christine Parkinson. Christine is the multi-award winning former group head of wine for Hackersan and co-founder of drinks consultancy Brimful Drinks, so she knows a thing or two about choosing wine. And she'll be joining Laura for a live wine tasting every fourth Monday of the month. For more information, visit joinclubsoda.com to sign up for our regular email newsletter. Buy the box, drink the box. Cheers. Yeah, and that's exactly the point, right? It's okay to get it wrong as you're right. trying this and seeing what works for you. So I know for myself, you know, my my approach to moderation started uh, really kind of seriously when I made a big category switch. I was just like, I all of my beer drinking is going to be alcohol free or as close to alcohol free as I can get, um, and I, you know, and that, you know, dramatically reduced my alcohol consumption by more than like three quarters. You know, when I looked at everything else I was drinking. Sam, is that you know that idea of a kind of a category switch or you? using alcohol-free drinks you know you run a you run a bar which specializes in this what kind of role do you think that that has as a moderation strategy for people 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, and, and this is, you know, I'm going to come back to that, but just a note on the alcohol-free beer uh, and alcohol-free wine, stuff like that, that kind of mimics uh, alcoholic drinks as opposed to some of the things we serve, which are, which are more fruit-based or, you know, or, so, or soda-based. Um, we often have customers who come in, they tell us they're sober. Uh, they, tell, they ask us, you know, they ask me if, if like almost like, is it okay that I have a non-alcoholic beer? And I tell them, I mean, it depends. If you haven't had a drink in years and you're worried this may, you know, trigger some kind of craving for the drink, I, I would recommend not having it. It's ultimately up to you. Um, but I think for people who are who are trying to moderate, I mean, even for myself, I love the non-alcoholic beers that are coming out now. Um, I, I've never had an O'Doul's in my life because, again, I, I was not a you know a, a, a drinker who stopped drinking. Um, but and and, to, and no, you know, not to bash O'Doul's. Maybe it's delicious. I've never had it, but uh, mm -hmm. that was always the go. You know, that was always people's idea of what, at least in America, of what a non-alcoholic beer was. And uh, and I've just never, you know, it always seemed to me like more of a a chore to say I'm going to replace my beer mm -hmm. with a, with an O'Doul's. You know, it wasn't a fun thing yeah. to look forward to necessarily. Now, now, now yeah, that's blue, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and now there's so many cool craft breweries doing non, you know, existing craft breweries doing non-alcoholic new craft breweries that only do non-alcoholic. Um, and, and there's such a range of flavors and styles and, and people always ask me, does it taste like beer? It does taste like beer. I mean, if, if you're trying to moderate, uh, so it doesn't, it's okay to, to have those flavors still, you're not worried that you're going to, it's going to send you on a, on a binge or something. Um, I, I would say like, yeah, that's super helpful. Even for me, I'll, I'll, you know, steal some of those drinks from our, from our bar and bring them home with me. And like lately I've been trying the, the McKellar beers. Um, they're awesome. I mean, I, I would, you know, I'll drink those and then not be craving a beer afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and actually that's one of the tips I wanted to mention that I've heard, uh, I, I would attribute it to somebody, but I forget who I heard it from. So I'm sorry if this was, this was you, but this idea that your first drink of the night uh, be a non-alcoholic drink. And then something more interesting than, than water or seltzer or, or diet soda or, you know, whatever. Um, but, but a non-alcoholic beer, non-alcoholic wine, non-alcoholic spirit, or, or just a mocktail um, to start with that and say, okay, do I still want to drink or did I, or was I just trying to socialize? You mm -hmm. know, because for me, again, nine times out of 10, if I have a non-alcoholic beer, I don't then go to an alcoholic beer afterwards. I kind of say, okay, you know, I, I had the thing in my hand. I got to drink something. I'm, you know, I'm kind of full on the calories. Like I'm good, you know? Um, so, so yeah, just in terms of like practical tips, I think that's, uh, that's a really good one. If you're, if you're just starting to try to moderate, just start with a non-alcoholic drink and then mm -hmm. don't beat yourself up if you have, you know, if, if, if whatever happens after that, but I yeah. think it's just a good way to, to kind of ease your way in. Yeah, absolutely. Or two non-alcoholic drinks. And then, you know, if you, if well, that's the thing, yeah. I, I think it can snowball just, just like alcohol can, right. You could have yeah. a non-alcoholic drink and say, that was delicious. I want to try another. Um, so, can I, right. Can I add to that? Yeah, yeah, of course. So I love that you brought that up, Sam. And, um, I was actually thinking about really practical things to say on, on this panel as well. And that was going to be one of mine, um, that I think it also creates a 
pattern interrupt of just, we sometimes go onto autopilot and we're so used to going and you were waiting for your table, for example, and oh, let's just, you know, do you want to be by the bar? Do you want to order a cocktail before your, your dinner, whatever it is, or we just, we just automatically order the alcohol that we're used to drinking. And, and now it's so amazing too, that there are so many non-alcoholic options. You can actually have something that you really enjoy. And I like that you said, not just water, you know, like treat yourself to something Mm -hmm. that tastes good that you're going to enjoy. And actually, that's also what I often recommend then for the second. So do that first and just try that as a as a as a new rule, the one rule, maybe I'm going to order something non alcoholic when I go out. And then with your second drink, if you do decide to order something alcohol uh, with alcohol, also order another thing that's really yummy. You know, because you're not going to want to let it waste. You're not going to want to let, you know, a glass of water is easy just to let sit on the table. But if you order another, like a second, I often do that. Um, I also am trending downwards. Like Chase said, I don't drink very much anymore. And it wasn't, you know, it's just been easy for me to not want to. Um, But I often find that if I am going to drink, I'll also order something that's really delicious and non-alcoholic and it just slows down how quickly I'm drinking my glass of wine. You know, it, it feels like a treat. And I think we also, we need to make this feel good. And that's why I'm also so grateful for places like the getaway bar and all of the non-alcoholic options right now, because we don't feel like we're in deprivation and humans, like we don't like punishment. We don't, we don't like to feel like we're suffering or missing out on something. And the more it feels like we are, the less likely we're going to stick to our intentions. And yeah. so the more this can feel positive and pleasurable and delicious and, you know, whatever you're seeking from the experience, it has to feel good or you're not going to want to keep doing it. So and treat I, yourself, you know, drink the yummy things. Yeah, true. Is it okay? I know we're going to yeah. go a little long. Okay. Yeah. So really quick, I, I just want to piggyback off that. What Caitlin said, it's like, I think it's so important um, that it be, that it be fun and that it not be militaristic. I mean, for some people yeah. that may work that kind of, uh, cold Turkey and for some people it might be necessary to have that cold, you know, depending on where you are with your drinking, um, to have that cold Turkey, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, but I think for, for many, many people who are concerned about their drinking, it's like, it has to be enjoyable, whether that's, yeah. um, you know, whether that's like, finding meditation and exercise and all these other things that make you feel good so that you don't crave the alcohol or whether it's just drinking non-alcoholic drinks that are like super delicious. Um, I think it, it can't be about depriving yourself because for so many people that just causes you to, to kind of yeah. go right back to the bad habits. Yeah, yeah. Well, isn't that, isn't that kind of the point in all of this is that whether you're choosing an alcohol uh, based drink or an alcohol free drink, have a drink that you actually enjoy. Um, I was really struck listening to, um, somebody being interviewed on a, a panel. Um, for anyone who's watching this who wants to look it up, it was Adrian Childs yesterday afternoon. And he was talking about, um, you know, he's, he's a journalist. He's got pretty well documented, um, struggles with alcohol. He actually did a whole documentary around here in the UK, talks very openly about moderation and his steps towards it. Um, and he was, he was describing, imagining every single drink that he'd ever had stretched out, you know, in his life. And he, he reckoned it was probably about four miles worth of alcohol that he consumed, um, in his life. And then he was thinking, how many of those drinks did I actually enjoy? You know, and if and if I did nothing else, if I only drank the alcohol that I enjoyed, I would massively reduce the alcohol. And you know, so for me, I'm really I'm really interested in how we can use pleasure and happiness as a way of guiding us to better choices, both in alcohol-free drinks and in alcoholic drinks. If you're if you're moderating, 
Yeah. And to be making that choice, you know, I like that Sam touched on that as well from a place of feeling good, you know, so doing all the other things, because I think we're focusing a lot too on what to actually do in the drinking environment. But of course, so much of this happens. Or what do you do in the morning? How do you treat yourself? Mm -hmm. What's your conversation in your head? You know, what self-care practices uh, do you have? How are you showing up for yourself? And, 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 And so if you're taking care of yourself in all of these other ways, it's going to be a lot easier to make that decision from a place of self-care and from feeling really good and really aligned and knowing what my best yes is, knowing what my higher self or whatever you want to call it, you know, the, how I want to show up, you know, the better me, whatever resonates with you, you know, that it's a choice that that person is making, not the stressed out, irritated, tired, you know, hungry, (laughs) like all the things, right? We don't make good decisions when we're under stress, haven't slept well, are hungry, right? And then the cycle continues and then we reach for the drink because it's the easiest thing, you know, and then we feel bad about ourselves and we don't sleep well and then we wake up feeling, you know, and it's like the hamster wheel. So getting off the hamster wheel by all of the other ways we're showing up for ourselves then helps make better, more pleasure-informed choices yeah, around what yeah, we're absolutely. actually drinking, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I know for myself that um, if I look at the the times when my drinking was really problematic, it was only really incidentally to do with alcohol. You know, it was mostly about everything else that was going on in my life. And if I'd been really paying attention to those things, I wouldn't have got myself into difficulty. Um, so I just want to ask a really practical question. Um, which is about tolerance for alcohol. And this is just, this is personal inquiry on my, my account. So, um, you can help me out. Um, what I've really noticed as I've, as I've moderated and as I've kind of been committed to a moderation journey is that as I'm drinking less, my tolerance for alcohol is going down as well. So I used to say, I would have said two years ago, I had a hard two pound, two pint limit, any more than two pints of alcohol and I, two pints of beer and I was in trouble. I would say I probably now got a one pint limit. You know, the, the, the amount of alcohol that I can safely drink and be happy and confident in myself is really trended downwards. Has that been your experience as well over time, I wonder, for any of you? Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah I mean, maybe. Oh, sorry, right. Chase, go ahead. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I completely agree. I mean, I'm, I'm somebody who has always kind of been a lightweight, to be honest, which I was in denial about for a very long time, um, especially in college. Um, but yeah, I've definitely noticed that, um, going without for a long time and now my tolerance is very low. Um, and which is good because like we said earlier, I mean, how many of those drinks are actually going to be pleasurable, pleasurable. And for me, the first one is the second one is, but beyond three, I've really found, um, now, you know, in the last nine months that no, like beyond three is not pleasurable at all. And it's it's been interesting to find that um like i don't i don't miss the feeling of being drunk i don't miss the feeling of intoxication um which you know 22 year old me would have been like well no you you love being drunk you love being intoxicated and and partying or whatever um but now reflecting on that like i really don't miss that and that's that's been a really a revelation um and super healthy physically and mentally for me mm-hmm. I just wanted to say, I think there's this like great irony in the fact that in, in a heavy drinking culture, like, like college for a lot of us is, you know, the, the heaviest drinking culture we'll be in in our life. Um, the, the irony is that there's this, uh, it's like, it's cool to get really fucked up. And it's also cool to have a really high tolerance, which mm-hmm. means that you don't get as messed up as quickly. So it's like, yeah. 
what is it, like, which is it, you know, what's the better thing? And, and ironically, it's like, I, I don't know if this is good or bad. I guess it's overall, it's good, but it's like nowadays I have one cocktail and I feel it and I'm drunk, mm-hmm. you know, like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not wasted, but I'm, but I feel it for sure. Yeah. Um, which I think is only a good thing. I mean, that's only mm-hmm. a good thing because overall I'm spending less money, right. On, on those drinks. Um, and, and I'm not putting as many of these, you know, potentially toxic substances into my body. Um, and I'm still getting those pleasurable effects from alcohol, you know, with that one drink. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that, uh, definitely my tolerance has, has gone down. And I think that is a point of pride, you know, as opposed to an embarrassment. Yeah, I'm. I'm wondering whether we just need to make lightweight and proud T-shirts to wear. And I would. I would wear it. You know, I was actually just having this conversation yesterday with some friends of mine who've been making kombucha and using me. Like, I, I love you know their brewing and ginger beer and stuff like that. So they keep getting these samples, but they they um, decided to make a kind of a fermented wine thing. I don't really know. They used yeast and. I don't know. Anyways, they brought it to me and then they asked me and it was really funny because I actually forgot because they'd been bringing me these unmarked bottles, you know, and I got home one night, like, like one night kind of late from the office and I opened one and I like I chugged like, I mean, it wasn't a big bottle, but I chugged about this much of it. And all of a sudden I was like, whoa, like I felt the effects so fast. And it was the fermented wine one that they were making. That's kind of like a clericotter. It you know, tastes like that. I mean, it was really good. But then they asked me about it and they said, well, what did you think? And I was like, I don't know if I'm the best person to ask. Like it tasted good, but I was like, I'm such a lightweight. And I use those words. And I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. such a lightweight now that, um, that my tolerance is so low. So it felt really strong to me. Also, I was, you know, coming home from work and I hadn't had dinner and it was on an empty stomach. But I said, you know, you might want to test this one out with a few other people mm-hmm. who are more, you know, who are looking for more alcoholic beverages. And um, so that was an experience I had recently with that. And I definitely notice now, you know, for me, one glass of wine feels like a lot, a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I had a glass of wine last night and I didn't feel because I, I drove, drank it really slowly and with dinner and with a limonada. But like this morning, it was interesting. Like I, I was like <laughs> going onto this panel and I have this like slightly, like I'm just so tuned into it. Right. And it's, it's a feeling that I probably lived with so much and didn't even notice was there before, but it's like that slightly dull feeling just right here. And I'm like, wow, you know, that happened after this one very long, like drawn out glass of one glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, just speaking from a, a you know a, a female perspective, and this is something I've heard from a lot of my clients too, is that culture that you all speak of of kind of being proud of how much you can drink is so problematic for women because we don't learn that we metabolize alcohol differently. You know, kind of know, but kind of don't really. I mean, I'm a small person, and now I think about the amount of alcohol that I drank. Like no, like I no wonder I was borderline alcohol poisoning so often because I was keeping up with my male colleagues, which mm-hmm. we were supposed to do, you know, or you know my friends, and it was as much as it's a point of pride for men than for women who can keep up with the guys, you know, and it's so damaging and such an indicator of our also just like terrible toxic max, you know, how toxic masculinity and sort of like the patriarchy in our workplaces like affect us in so many ways. And I work with women who are lawyers, work with women who are, you know, in professions where that's still like, they're expected to go out and drink finance, you know, all these, like, you know, that's what you do. You go out, you talk with your clients and you're supposed to drink as much as your male colleagues. And the fact that that still exists is so problematic on so many levels. 
And, you know, that a lot of women, like we just don't know. I think it's starting to be talked about a little bit more now, but I didn't know for a long time that like, you know, I, like it was almost, yeah, I thought it was like a deficient, like, oh, you're trying to tell me that I'm lesser than because I can't drink as mm-hmm. much as the guys. And it's like, no, part of that is like basic biology, but, and it's, it shouldn't be this um, deficit that I somehow can't drink as much alcohol as my, as, as my male colleagues or my male friends. Mm-hmm. And that, that's been a big one for a lot of the women that I work with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And but on behalf of men everywhere. Well, uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, patriarchy yeah, damages well, us as well, but, you know, seriously, um, recognizing well, my complicity in that. Um, so, so we're coming up to um, the end of our time. Um, for anyone who's watching this, um, I just wonder if you guys have any kind of, um, and is seriously thinking about moderation as a way of changing their drinking. Um, do you have any kind of words of encouragement or advice or, you know, what's the next step that you think somebody should take chase? Yeah. Um, I would, I would definitely, I like, I really like the idea that recovery is recovery is linear. Um, and that it should be individualized for each person. Um, so like, I mean, for me and my personal journey, I would say, um, I am kind of, it is just a journey. It is just that. So I don't, not just, not as a disclaimer, but I don't pretend to have everything figured out. If I find that my drinking habits, if I revert to my past habits, um, I might have to consider, um, an alcohol-free lifestyle, but I like the idea that recovery is linear. So be patient. Don't be too hard on yourself. I believe that any progress, um, forward is, is positive and should be celebrated. So for people who are out there who are looking to, um, trying to make a change, um, thinking about it, scared to do it. Um, I would definitely give it a shot and Godspeed. Awesome. Sam, any final thoughts? Uh, two really quick things. One, I think it's kind of obvious, but you know, like find a creative hobby just in general. I think it's a really, you know, if you can find something to do with your time that is not, you know, coming home and drinking, like it's gonna, it's not going to feel like a chore to not drink. It's going to feel like something you look forward to. Um, and then I think also, uh, to Caitlin's point, like if you're surrounded by people at work or your friends who are pressuring you to drink, I mean, I think first of all, you got to consider, you know, whether they have your best interest in mind. And I think also uh, just try to find one person who has successfully moderated and and talk to them about it, because uh, I think that kind of mutual support is so important, um, mm-hmm. you know, Excellent. to have in your social sphere. Yeah. Uh, Caitlin, any final thoughts from you? Yeah. I mean, I think another thing to mention as well is that, um, really this is your choice and, and there might be people in your life who are saying that you don't have a problem. You don't need to cut back. What's, you know, and which again, it sounds, as I say it out loud, it sounds like so crazy, like it's really high school, but this exists for adults as well. Um, and really you, I feel like it just collectively we're being called into our, you know, we need to show up right now in so many different ways as our best people, our best humans, our most caring, most compassionate, most helpful, most active, you know, selves. And to make decisions that from that place, you know, I think that this is part of our activism too, is to be, to be the best version of ourselves for ourselves, for our partners, for our families, for our communities, for the world. And so what that looks like is, is an individual journey and the beauty. And I mean, I'm so excited for this festival and, and all the people you brought together is there are so many options. Like I said, these mm-hmm. didn't exist when I started 
this journey. And it was quite isolating. And if you feel isolated now, I would say that um, that might be part of the resistance or the fear because it's hard to take this step, but there are so many people to connect with. There's so many options. There's so many different inspiring people online. There are communities. There is that one person. I'm sure if you look for them, like Sam said, you'll find that person, you know, mm -hmm. in real life as well. And once we make a decision, things align for us to help show us people that we might not have paid attention to or noticed before. Um, but just know that you're supported. You know, we're here. You're supported energetically mm -hmm. and in the universe. Like this is a really good time right now to be making choices for your health and mm -hmm. for our, you know, individual health and collective health. And this is one of them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, guys, uh, Chase, Caitlin, Sam, thank you so much for joining us, um, for this really thank fascinating you. conversation. Um, for anyone who is, um, who's interested in finding out more about, um, Caitlin's, uh, courses or chase's podcast or at some point gets to go to brooklyn and hang out with sam in his bar um you would be super welcome and equally in club soda um if we can support you to help and change your drinking in a way that helps you live well we're here for you um guys thank you so much thank, thank you, you. is brought to you by club soda you can find out more about what we do on joinclubsoda.com and on our social handles at join club soda